to paraphrase the charter CEO, this is not your typical carriage dispute. This is a bigger Mm -hmm. deal because what charter is saying is the entire business model no longer works. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, September 8th. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Byers to talk about the looming collapse of the cable bundle, thanks to the ongoing carriage dispute between Disney and Charter Spectrum. At the heart of that dispute is ESPN, which also faces an uncertain future of its own. As Dylan explains, the end of cable as we know it could have some ugly consequences for big media companies and for TV consumers everywhere. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Dylan Byers. Dylan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Peter. How are you doing? I'm good. I want to read to you a little something here. Uh, this is a, something I, I read just before hopping on. And I begin, quote, Last Thursday, as I went to turn on ESPN2 <laughs> to catch my nightly fix of U.S. Open tennis, I received a text from a Puck colleague bemoaning the fact that his plans to watch college football on ESPN had been foiled by a new carriage dispute between Disney and Charter Spectrum, the cable TV operator that serves as the primary provider for both the Los Angeles and New York City media markets. Who Spoiler might alert. That, who might that colleague be, Peter? <laughs> that piece is by Dylan Byers. Everyone should read it. It's called Bob Iger's ESPN Game of Chicken about the ongoing infuriating dispute between Charter Spectrum and Disney. Basically, this, at least to me, feels like it's about ESPN. And that puck colleague was me. I was trying to watch Florida, Utah. I wanted to watch the Gators get their teeth kicked in. I couldn't. I was a little bummed about it. Um, but Dylan, man, I like literally on Wednesday called Spectrum and I said, I'm finally cutting the cord. And I signed up for YouTube yeah. TV because I wanted to watch the uh, the Shelton Tiafo US Open match the night before. So I just downloaded YouTube TV, started that up. It was great. My biggest concerns about quitting cable are always like, I want to watch the local news and I want sports. And I can get all that stuff There you go on YouTube TV. Um, so at long last, my entire adult life, Goodbye, Cable. Dylan, you, you have a great piece up about this on Puck, as I mentioned. But just to pull back a minute, are we literally watching the collapse of the Cable Bundle like in real time? I mean, we've been talking about this for years. Uh, in some cases, almost rooting for it. Like, Is it actually happening right now? Well, yeah. I mean, so what I would say is, on the one hand, we've been watching the collapse of the cable bundle ever since we founded Puck. I mean, this is this is a story that is sort of going on in perpetuity, but it is one that happens very slowly. And we are sort of potentially, with this carriage dispute, and in light of a lot of other uh, sort of tectonic shifts that are happening, we are potentially approaching that moment in which things are going to speed up very quickly and the sort of implosion of the cable business model will happen very, very fast right before our very eyes. And I think one of the the reasons that I'm so fascinated by this carriage dispute beyond just the disruption that both you and I felt last Thursday night <laughs> is that 
This, to paraphrase the charter CEO, this is not your typical carriage dispute. This is a bigger Mm -hmm. deal because what charter is saying is the entire business model no longer works because you, be it Disney or anyone else, you are taking your best content and you are moving it over to streaming and you are therefore charging us more, which we then have to hand down to the consumer, who at the same time is paying more to get less. And so the ask from Charter here is if you're going to do that, you have to also make your streaming services available at no additional cost to our subscribers. First of all, that doesn't really seem like a terribly logical solution, Hmm. nor does it seem like one that Disney is going to agree to. And so, yes, we're arriving at this moment where effectively the the, the pay TV providers are saying... This business model doesn't work for us anymore. And by the way, it's declining and the margins are becoming thinner and thinner year by year to the point where we don't even really care about being in this business all that much longer if it's not going to work for us and it's not going to work for the consumer. And the moment that that happens, along with other big things, which we, I'm sure we'll talk about, such as ESPN taking its biggest, you know, the Monday night football, the college football, taking that and putting it on streaming, we are indeed arriving at this moment where the flight of cable TV subscribers to streaming services is going to pick up speed rapidly, and it is going to basically pull the rug out from under the cable business as we've known it for decades. And with it, the economics of the industry are going to shift with massive seismic implications for everyone involved. So the CEO of Charter, Chris Winfrey, said on a conference call with Wall Street analysts last week, you reported this in your piece, quote, we're on the edge of a precipice, which is what you're saying, Dylan, quote, we're either moving forward with a new collaborative video model or we're moving on. This is not a typical carriage dispute. It's significant for Charter, and we think it's even more significant for programmers and the broader video ecosystem. When Winfrey says or we're moving on, what is the business model that works for these cable providers? Is it just selling internet to people and saying yes. good riddance to TV channels? Yes, selling internet, uh, you know, they also have a voice business in terms of like phones, but, but yeah, but by and large, it's like continuing to provide broadband services for people because again, the margins here are beca- are, are such that it's no longer a business that they feel the need to be in, uh, at least over the long term. And it is almost that sort of indifference to the outcome that is more significant than the carriage dispute itself, right? It's effectively saying that it's not as though, usually when you get in a carriage dispute like this, and we tend to arrive here at this exact moment of the year when everyone is getting very excited about football. Mm -hmm. Usually what you have is you basically have the providers and the Disney's and the the NBCU's and the Max's, whatever. Um, Sorry, Warner. You you basically have them bickering over cost, right? And everyone sort of generally agrees that this is a lucrative business to be in and no one really wants to upset the apple cart. This is very different. This is a situation where it's saying this business is no longer makes sense. It's no longer tenable and it's no longer worthwhile for us to be in. And when you've arrived at that point, 
you are going to accelerate, you, you know, if, if they don't find a way to come to the table here, the cord cutting that is already happening is going to accelerate drastically. And no one feels incentivized, it seems, to solve that. Because, well, Charter is signaling that it's willing to sort of be done with this whole thing. Disney, mm-hmm. meanwhile, is trying to figure out its own strategy for Disney plus Hulu and and most notably moving ESPN, the flagship ESPN product over to streaming. So I think the calculus for everyone is changing and thus the business itself is changing. I want to talk to you more about the plans for ESPN, what, what Iger's thinking after the break. But real quick before we go to break, like if you think about cable as like Jenga, and you pull out ESPN as one of the, the sticks <laughs> when you're d- building the tower in Jenga. And it collapses. Because <laughs> I feel ESPN was commanding the highest fees. Am I wrong? Yes. No, that's right. So if you remove ESPN, which of these other companies' channels that are in the bundle, who's in the blast radius? Like, who gets hurt the most? Everyone. Like, in, in this Every, Everyone. Okay. Everyone gets hurt because the, in, in in your Jenga analogy, ESPN is effectively the bottom, I don't know, how tall is your tower? It's the bottom <laughs> like six rows of blocks you, you, because this whole business and, and the reason that the CEOs in this business are among the highest paid CEOs anywhere, the reason that this business makes so much money, the reason we are so fascinated by it is is in part because it has been built off this model whereby everyone who has a cable subscription is paying for the right to have ESPN, even if they don't watch ESPN. Now, they're paying a certain amount of money for every single channel they have, but ESPN is far and away the most expensive among them and effectively amounts to sort of like, you know, tax, monthly tax that we all pay or have been paying. And if you pull that piece of it out, you're going again to accelerate cord cutting and you are going to bring down the total number of subscribers for cable bundles generally, probably down to as low as I would say like 40 million. And in so doing, you are going to fundamentally change the amount of money that any pay TV provider can charge consumers for channels and and the amount of money that companies can make from that arrangement. And so everybody is going to find themselves with smaller revenues, smaller budgets, and the production is therefore going to become smaller. If you think about the, the world you and I usually talk about on the podcast, which is cable news, when you take away those fees that they've been getting, you could effectively be cutting the business in half or worse. Mm-hmm. And in order to pay money for pick your overpriced, you know, <laughs> ego on cable news, like you can't afford those people anymore. Sending people to cover wars in Ukraine becomes harder when you are not making a billion dollars a year, thanks in large part to these sub fees. And so mm-hmm. this is the thing. The blast radius is total because it is just the entire business and how it operates. And as everyone moves to streaming or those who feel like they can survive the shift to streaming move there, they're going to find that there aren't as many 
reliable revenue streams bringing in enough money to recoup the losses that they're going to feel from from the linear implosion and as such the businesses are going to need to change and in many cases are going to need to get significantly smaller dylan i'm gonna take a quick break and when we come back i want to ask you what your a la carte subscription streaming plan is going to be to hang on to true tv and the tv land channel we'll be right back the powers that be everybody i'm joined by dylan byers to talk about the cable bundle apocalypse that's happening before our very eyes uh, you know espn is obviously the linchpin of this whole story Iger, you know when he was up at sun valley gave that cnbc interview you were up there at the time where he said he was looking for a, a quote strategic partner for espn as disney tries to kind of unbundle slash sell a bunch of assets okay so if i can't get ESPN on Spectrum here in LA anymore. What's the plan for ESPN? I mean, I signed up for YouTube TV. By the way, we're talking about sports. NFL Sunday Ticket is available on YouTube TV now, so I can add that on to my little personalized bundle. But And I, and I can watch ESPN through YouTube TV. But what is Iger's plan right now for ESPN? Well, First of all, let's just say that the existence of YouTube TV is, is sort of very convenient here, but it is not necessarily cheap, as I'm sure you found when you when you went to sign yeah. up for it. And even at the prices they're charging, it's a business that, that Google can sustain because it's Google. But I'm not sure mm -hmm. YouTube TV is a terribly lucrative business for them at the moment. Mm. The plan is to incentivize as many sports fans as possible to sign up for ESPN and pay a monthly subscription or to get it through a sort of, you know, bundled package of Disney plus Hulu and ESPN. And the challenge there is going to be, and I've talked to executives at ESPN and at Disney about this, and, and they, they know the challenge and they are they're, they're clear-eyed about the challenge and they're dealing with it, is if we can only charge the people who actually are willing to pay for sports. If we can only charge those people and we can't charge them so much that it makes it impossible for them to pay, mm -hmm. what are we going to do in order to sustain costs? And it's not just like, how do we keep alive the sort of like lucrative days of the linear era? It's also, how do we make enough money to continue competing for sports rights, the cost of which continue to get driven up thanks in no small part to the existence of Amazon and Apple and other services that just operate on fundamentally different business models and have a lot more cash on hand. Hmm. And that is a very, very difficult calculation. And it's one that begins with some cost cutting, right? And you see it, you see these sort of waves of layoffs or, or cost cuts at ESPN in order to preserve what is really the asset that drives that business, which is the sort of whatever live sports rights they have. And they will also, as, as Bob Iger has said, they will look for a strategic partner who can help them in terms of sort of figuring out this cost analysis, figuring out perhaps the distribution and the marketing. There's been speculation that it might be an Apple or an Amazon. We don't really know yet exactly what that business would look like. But th these are sort of the best available options, and none of them are guaranteed to succeed. None of them hold the same sort of reliable, steady revenue stream that 
that the linear business did. So if you're a sports consumer like you and I, or you just hate the Florida Gators uh, for <laughs> an insane reason, what's the future for, for you in this world? I mean, how are you going to be able to watch live sports? Is it just going to be you have you know multiple apps on your smart TV and you just flip back and forth between them to find different games? Yeah, I mean, I think over time it will become more sort of bespoke and you will sort of pick and choose until someone can figure out a sort of new bundle model for sports. But I do think that for a while it's going to be this situation where you and I, being fans of, you know, tennis and football and whatnot, are going to have to pay more in order to access the specific sporting events that we want. Mm -hmm. And because sports rights are owned by, so, or I should say rented rather, by so many different media entities, that is going to entail a lot of sort of not channel surfing, but app surfing, and probably mm -hmm. a multitude of subscriptions that taken together are going to feel as burdensome as the cable bundle used to feel, save for the fact that outside of the season, you can sort of drop your subscription and then come back to it. But mm -hmm. the key here, and no, no one knows exactly how this is going to work or what this is going to look like, but the key here is going to be finding a way to reduce that friction for consumers, to basically create some service that makes it easier for people who are trying to watch live sports to not have to jump across a lot of apps in order to find what they're looking for. <laughs> and I think everyone is so focused on their own struggle in, in terms of this transition right now and figuring out the business models that we are a long ways away from anyone solving that that larger problem. The larger problem can only be solved by the product invention that violates all of my beliefs about privacy, but I'm so aggravated by trying to remember passwords across platforms, services, bank accounts, whatever. Whoever out there, I know lots of powerful, important people listen to this podcast, Whoever wants to invent a microchip that just put in my brain that can eye scan and just like let me into whatever I want to watch at all times, I will do it. But also, I know media executives and hopefully some product people out there listen to this podcast as well. Whoever invented the QR code login thing for your phone, thank you for doing that. Yes, where you agreed. like where you like put the camera on the TV and then it can bump into Netflix and log in remotely if you're at like an Airbnb or something. That is a useful innovation. But holy shit, man. Yeah, flipping back and forth between all of these streamers and remembering passwords. I mean, that is going to be uh, my personal hellscape. And for you as a college football fan, just wait till you, you know, you've got like, a, I don't even know the divisions, but you got like a Big Ten game over here <laughs> yeah. and an SEC game over here. And I don't even, does the Pac-12 exist anymore? But you got like a Pac-12. Like that, that is just, it's, it's going to be, it's going to, I think it, for the consumer, things are going to get harder before they get easier. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Dylan, thank you so much for joining us, man. This is an incredible story. Thanks for covering it. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. 
please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.